We have been conditioned to believe women could not possibly commit heinous crimes. Lizzie Borden was acquitted for murdering her father and stepmother for the very reason that she was a woman. But the fact is, women can be just as cruel, just as evil as any man imaginable. This is Killer Heart to Hearts. Welcome back to Killer Heart to Hearts. I'm Will. And I'm Elise. Welcome back, you guys. We got another crazy story. I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, it's probably, I would think it's actually our most famous that we've done so far. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we we try and find some obscure ones. I know that uh, quite a few you probably have heard of, but they are, they've all been just super interesting to us. So that's why we shared them. This one is definitely in the history books um, and probably has been covered many times before, but I don't know if maybe they've been covering it accurately. Yeah, there's a lot of folklore that goes along with this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I've been excited for this one since we recorded the season one trailer. Yeah, it's when, in our trailer. When we you know, alluded to that we're going to be doing an episode um, on this, um, yeah, I've been excited because I, you know, I've I've been to this place that we're going to talk about today. You have, yes, you have a photo of the famous mansion. That's right. I have a very cool photo yeah. hanging in our bathroom. That, yes, that I took there. Yeah, so. yeah, it's a beautiful and very ugly building. Ugly for the inside of what occurred, and beautiful from the outside. Yeah. So this is the story of Madame Delphine Lalaurie. New Orleans' French Quarter is known for its roaring nightlife down Bourbon Street, its fresh coffee and beignets at Café du Monde, jazz music that fills the streets blaring out from its clubs, and perhaps most notably, its architecture. The buildings are a must-see, with their vibrant colors and cast-iron balconies that line the streets with people cascading the buildings as they look down at passers-by. There is so much life to this area that it has become one of the most prolific tourist attractions in the United States. However, another reason for its attraction is the dark history that surrounds New Orleans. It's hard to go to New Orleans and not want to attend one of their many ghost tours that they offer, which take you around to their hauntingly beautiful cemeteries, filled with elaborate marble chambers as the final resting place for some of the most famous and infamous residents. Now, that was when um, I went on one of those uh, tours that you just talked Mm -hmm. about. Um, And those tours are so cool. Like, they really do take you around and um, show you these places up close and, you know, right right there. Um, and that wasn't the first time, obviously, that I'd heard about Delphine LaLaurie. Um, but it was really cool to to be at, you know, the, the, the place where these events. Yeah, transpired. I mean, these ghost tours, they take you not only to Delphine's house, but, you know, to a lot of 
haunting places that people believe are haunted. Um, the voodoo queen. Um, right. The vampire. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's definitely a must go, must see if you go to New Orleans. Yeah. Now, but these above ground chambers became the solution for the dead, as it would have been problematic trying to dig a grave in a place built below sea level. And St. Louis Cemetery Number 1 is supposedly home to the final resting place of Madame Delphine Lallerie, known as one of the cruelest women to ever roam the streets of New Orleans. Her tomb, however, is not the main attraction for true crime enthusiasts. It is her house of horrors, the Lallerie Mansion, situated in the heart of New Orleans that brings people in droves to have a first-hand look at this former torture chamber. Marie Delphine McCarty was born March 19, 1787 in New Orleans. At the age of 13, she married her first husband, who was a high-ranking Spanish royal officer at the St. Louis Cathedral in New Orleans. Louisiana had become a Spanish colony in the 1760s, and in 1804, after the American acquisition of what was again a French territory, her husband was appointed Consul General for Spain in the territory of Orleans and was called to appear to the court of Spain. Her husband, Don Ramon, never made it. Mysteriously, while he and Delphine, who was pregnant at the time, were en route to Madrid, he suddenly died in Havana. Now, there's no record of how he died. A few days later, Delphine gave birth to their daughter and returned to New Orleans. At 17 years old, she was a new mother and a widow. Could this have been a tragic accident or mysterious illness? Or was it a sign of something more sinister? Now, that is definitely interesting to hear that at such a young age, um, death was always making itself fam- was already making itself familiar with Delphine Lalaurie. Yes. Although, you know, at this time, you know, anything, any number of things could have caused this man's death trying to go from New Orleans to Spain. Yeah. You know, course. I mean, anyone who's, you know, who's played Oregon Trail knows that you can't even make it to Oregon without dying of typhoid. Yes. You know what I mean? So yes. the the situation in itself isolated, not surprising. Right. But as I continue... You might change your mind. Well, I'm sure that I will. In 1808, Delphine found a new husband, Jean Blanc, a prominent banker and lawyer. He and Delphine had four children together before his untimely death in 1816. Again, there is no record of how he died either. Once again, at 29 years old, Delphine found herself a mother of five and a two-time widow. Now, back then, early death was certainly not uncommon, so Delphine was not the only woman who faced tragedy like this. But hindsight is always twenty-twenty, and her future actions certainly should raise eyebrows regarding her past. In 1825, 
At the ripe age of 38, Delphine married a man who was substantially younger than she. Now, it's not clear exactly how old he was, but one source estimated that he was born in 1802, which would have made him 23 when he married this potential black widow. He was a physician named Leonard Louis Nicholas Lollery, and although married, they lived seemingly separate lives. Delphine was quite independent for this time period, and in 1831, she bought property at 1140 Royal Street. It was bought in her own name and managed by her alone. Her husband had very little to do with the day-to-day goings-on at the property. And soon after she bought it, she had her infamous mansion built there, equipped with its own slave quarters. She lived there with her husband and two of her five children. However, the house couldn't save the problems in their marriage. Within the year, she had petitioned the first judicial district court for a separation from her husband. Ironically, she claimed that he had treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. Her children supported these claims. However, she must not have felt too unsafe as he remained in the house at least until 1834, when the fire broke out. Oh yes, the mansion as we know it today is not the original building the Lalleries inhabited. In 1834, her dark secrets were uncovered. There had been whispers of cruelty within these walls. A neighbor had recalled seeing a young girl about eight years old leap to her death from the roof of the building. Over the years, that story has morphed into more elaboration, saying that the young girl was brushing Madame Lalaurie's hair when she hit a tangle and pulled too hard. Madame Lalaurie chased her around with a whip, and she chose to face death then face the cruel punishment that was for sure in store for her. Wow. Now, I know this is, you know, folklore here we're talking about. Potential. Potentially. The thing is, we just don't know the facts. Right. But just the fact that it's plausible that this girl would choose to jump off the roof rather than face the beating that she knew she was going to face because she lived in the house, she'd rather jump. And the fact that we're even talking about that as is that real or not shows what was going on in that house. I will say I do believe that she did it to escape punishment. The part that I don't know about is whether it was simply that she was brushing Madame Lollery's hair or whatnot. But the reason that I believe is because there are other stories like this, Mm. which I will get to. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she would rather face death than punishment, which was probably torture, is very plausible. Yeah. Of course, that more elaborate story was most likely embellished since the young girl was dead and Delphine sure as hell wouldn't disclose such details. Also, what was even more puzzling was according to public appearance, Delphine was often polite to black people and concerned for their well-being. She even freed two of her slaves, one in 1819 and the other in 1832. 
Still, the rumors were spreading, so much so, in fact, that a lawyer was sent to the residence to make sure Delphine and her husband were reminded of the laws that were in place regarding the upkeep of slaves. The lawyer inspected the house, but found nothing to be concerned about. He must not have looked very hard, because the fire would soon reveal all the rumors to be true, if not worse than imagined. On April 10, 1834, a fire broke out in the kitchen of the LaLaurie's mansion. Could this have been an accident or a cry for help? When police arrived with the fire marshal, they discovered a 70-year-old black woman chained to the stove by her ankle. She was the LaLaurie's cook, and this fire most certainly was no accident. It was out of fear. The woman survived, and when asked what had happened, she told them that she started the fire as an attempt to commit suicide. Like the rumors of the young girl who leapt to her death, this woman would rather die than face the punishment she was expecting. She told the police that if Madame Lalaurie found out about her mistake, she would surely be taken to the third floor for punishment. And when people go to the third floor, they don't come back. So there's your answer. Absolutely. You know. Absolutely. I, I, mean, I mean, this is a firsthand account. Um, again, stories have changed over the years. Right. Um, so almost all of it is speculation, you know, loose bits and pieces here and there that have been gathered over the years. But yeah. So it's like die quickly by your own hand or die after an extended period of torture. Yes. Right. Yes. But she treats black people nice in public. Yeah. That was obviously a front. <laughs> Once this was revealed by the cook, the town got wind of it, and it was reported by the New Orleans Bee, the local paper, that the very next day, townspeople showed up at the House of Horrors and broke down the door. They ravaged the place until they entered a room where they found, quote, seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs apparently stretched and torn from one extremity to the other, end quote. Others recounted seeing men and women who were emaciated, had whip marks over their bodies, were bound in restrictive postures, and wore spiked iron collars to keep their heads in one position so they can't move them. Wow. The extent of brutality and inhumanity that existed in this house was not lost on anyone. But what happened next should also tell you a thing or two about the time period and the people of the South. The slaves were all removed from the mansion and brought to the local jail, where they were put on display for all to see so the townspeople could see their suffering. Nearly 4,000 people showed up to see firsthand what they had endured. I think this was meant to showcase just how cruel Delphine was, but it also proves that the townspeople did not see these men and women who had been so brutalized as human. They were not taken to the hospital right away or treated for their severe wounds. 
They were taken to jail. Yeah, they were they were put on display at the zoo. Exactly. Like, That's exactly how it felt was zoo creatures like that the, were behind bars. Like the freak show at yes. the carnival. Yes. Step right up and see how these people have been mortally fucked up. Yeah, exactly. And once the mob was convinced of their sufferings, they returned to the LaLaurie's estate and destroyed every inch they could get their hands on. All that remained were the walls. Several weeks after the fire that uncovered these monstrous acts, the Pittsfield Sun reported that two of the slaves who had been rescued had succumbed to their injuries and died. They also reported that in digging up the yard on the property, bodies had been discovered just below the surface. One in particular was that of a child. This child is thought to have been the young girl who jumped from the roof to avoid punishment. It is difficult to imagine any person with such damning evidence against them of torture and murder could just escape without punishment. But that is how this case ends. Not much is known about Delphine LaLaurie after the fire. It is rumored that she escaped to Paris and died in a boar hunting accident. Of course, there's no evidence of this, only rumors. But because of this unsubstantiated information, it is quite possible that the tomb that bears Delphine's name on it in New Orleans is an empty one. After all, the inscription etched in stone reads, Madame LaLaurie, born Marie Delphine McCarthy, died in Paris December 7th, 1842, at the age of 60-something. However, the French archives in Paris have a different year altogether, 1849. The LaLaurie Mansion lay in ruin for four years before being rebuilt in 1938. Since then, it has been used as a public high school, a music conservatory, an apartment building, a bar, and a furniture store. Now, there is much folklore that surrounds this supposedly haunted mansion and its former occupants. Imaginations run wild with descriptions so grotesque it is difficult to stomach. I quote, Male slaves stark naked chained to the wall, their eyes gouged out, their fingernails pulled off by the roots. Others had their ears hanging by shreds, their lips sewn together, end quote. And perhaps the most disturbing of them all is the story of a woman whose limbs were broken and then reset at odd angles to resemble a human crab. The human imagination has no bounds. But why does the story need it? Is the truth not disturbing enough? As with my episode about H.H. Holmes and the murder castle, it gives the illusion that people are obsessed with the grotesque. Murder and torture in any form are inhumane. Murderers don't need our help to prove they're monsters. Right. It's like often people get into a pissing contest about, you know, oh, who's the the worst serial killer, you yeah. know what I mean? And they build up these these stories when it's what they did is bad enough. It doesn't need to be embellished to in some sort of a telephonic game of one-upsmanship. Exactly, especially for these stories that take place in the 1800s where the facts can be 
loose and we don't have all the evidence. We don't have any real evidence, you know? Most of it is just disappeared, gone, or was never collected. Right. Much and like- so it's easy to embellish details and think that things happened when they didn't. And then that gets passed passed on and... Here we are today talking about this. Yeah, much like the outlaws of the Wild West, you know, mm-hmm. not not so far off in a time frame um, where their stories, you know, were, were routinely embellished, you know, um, and no one knows what the truth was. Right. The one thing we do know is Madame Lollerie was cruel. She was a murderer. She was a torturer. And that is enough yeah she she will she has gone down in history as that um it's good we don't know her as anything else yeah it's the only thing that we know her as yeah i didn't know that she was from new orleans yeah i didn't either yeah but yeah she was second generation um her grandfather had moved the family from ireland oh Mm -hmm. cool yeah so Wow. Yeah. She, she was a piece of work. Absolutely. And, you know, there's not much um, information about her husband at the time and his involvement in any of this. Um, So unfortunately, I just don't have all the information about Lollery himself, but he was a doctor. He was a doctor. Yeah. Um, But I can only imagine that he was aware since the cook was chained to the stove when they found. I mean, I find it very, very hard to believe that he was not aware of at least some of what was happening in that house. Right. You know, I I know that you mentioned earlier on in in the uh, episode that he wasn't very much involved on the day-to-day operations of the house. But I don't see how even, let's say you're not involved at all. I still don't see how you could still live in a house and not know that something like this was going on. Right. I mean, their third floor, which was their attic, was where slaves went when they were being punished. And that was the, the torture room. How do you not know that that is happening in your own house? Yeah. Um, so I believe that he is guilty of at least knowledge. Yeah, he has to be. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see in any other way. Like, I, I don't, I don't see a, a, a reality where that could be true. Yeah. But she's the one that has gone down in history as the murderess. Yeah. And, um, I think that was my favorite American Horror Stories season that I watched. Oh, did you see it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even watch that. Yeah, season. it was a good one. Kathy yeah. Bates. Yeah, oh, she yeah. was great. She she, she was would great. Be great for that. Yeah, it was, it was good. Well, thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and be sure to catch the next episode of Killer Heart to Hearts. Killer Heart to Hearts is produced, written, and hosted by Elise Budell and William Cannon, and is engineered by Jordan Calhoun.